Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and today I have Dan, the founder of Datasmith. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brad. I'm excited to chat today. Awesome. So if you have listened to some previous episodes of this podcast, one in particular was with Ron from Rockerbox. And one of the things that Ron and I got into when we were talking about attribution data and really digging into what they do at Rockerbox and what he sees some of his customers, a light bulb moment went off with Ron and and I is that one of the biggest challenges that um, some of our mutual customers face is the lack of actual people to analyze and extract insights and put those insights into action versus just collecting data, merging data, blending data, and just kind of sits there in a data warehouse. It was an actual business idea. Ron was like, there's, the next, there's another business is going to fill this void of uh, being able to take action on this data. Uh, so that's where Dan comes in. This is what Dan does at Datasmith. So we are going to dig into, I would say, the pre-deployment of tracking. So trying to get into defining goals uh, into your measurement strategy and ultimately to help you just take action, extract insights faster and more efficiently. But before we get into it, Dan, just give everyone a quick intro about yourself and we'll uh, we'll jump in. Sounds great. And thanks for that intro, Brad. Uh, at Datasmith, we're really focused on helping, like you mentioned, e-commerce companies close the gap between when you have all the data, you know you want to do something with it, uh, and actually being able to tie that to your business objectives and to your daily planning and uh, the actions that you take. Uh, Datasmith, I, I, I started about two years ago um, after really finding such a great opportunity in the e-commerce and CPG space I get really excited about. In the past, I've done similar things in hospitality and in fitness and in all of these areas. Uh, what we find is that there's a ton of rich customer data, an opportunity to learn about your customers. And as the technology catches up, we have these awesome data sources that we can use all this information to use. It's just a matter of closing that last piece. Uh, we have the insights. Now, what do we do with it? And that's yeah. our goal at Data Smith. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's get into it. So uh, essentially what we'll be going through today will be uh, creating the measurement strategy and the goals behind that, deploying it, and then getting into some, into some tactics for measuring, analyzing that. So let's start with step number one. So Dan, again, if we're taking the approach of we we're coming in, you're coming in to fill the void of, okay, a, a brand needs to start extracting more insights from either their Google Analytics data or their Shopify data or anything in between platform data. What's step number one that you see uh, some of your customers being most successful with? The place that I always start with our customers and the place where customers new to using data in actionable ways uh, should always think about starting is your business goals. The most success from data comes when a company starts by thinking about what am I trying to achieve in my business and what are the specific goals I'm going for? That could be increasing new customer acquisition. It could be retaining more of my customers. Um, or you may have seen a loss of customers and you want to bring more customers back from the past. Uh, whatever it might be, 
starting with that goal in mind is the key to then building out a strategy around what data points do I need to look at to help me track that specific goal. Got it. So instead of just going down the path of, all right, we're going to deploy a bunch of tracking and hook up a bunch of tools, potentially LFR included, is just pause for a minute and essentially get very clear on what answers or what questions are you trying to answer and what goals do you have tied to those? Absolutely. Once we get to the place where all that data is coming in, it can get overwhelming really fast. Uh, A lot of the companies, especially those um, who have started out within the last few years, are wearing a hundred different hats, have a million things on their plate. You Mm -hmm. have some ability to glance at data in Google Analytics or Shopify and glean some insights, but it's very overwhelming if you're not in this data day to day. If you wanna take that step back, the best place to start comes back to those specific business goals you're trying to achieve. Once you have those defined, that's when you can start to think about what specific data points do do I care about? Which ones do I need to be paying attention to? So that, that makes sense. Just you know, again, before just running, uh, you know, learning, learning what you're doing or what you're running after, what the goal is or whatever metaphor we want to throw in there. But what would be, what are some of the benefits of, of taking that pause first of, okay, here's what we're trying to achieve. Here's the questions I'm trying to answer. What are, uh, yeah, just, I think giving some detail on the benefits of that, that you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest benefits is that when you start from this place, you can start to understand what data you need from a perspective of where you're going. And oftentimes you'll find that you have or are close to having the data that you need to be able to make more data-driven decisions. What gets tricky is if you just start with data, really quickly you discover that your data is not perfect. You might have trouble trusting data from certain areas. You might have incomplete data in other areas. And that's a place where it's easy to get tangled up thinking about, okay, let me collect all my data to one place. Let me make sure it's all perfectly accurate. What ends up happening is you either spend a lot of money trying to do this or with everything else going on, it just goes back to the back burner. When you think about your goal and think about specific ways that we'll get into about connecting that goal to data, you say, oh, well, maybe there is a data point that I already collect or that I'm very close to collecting that I can use to measure success here. It might not be perfect, but if it moves up, I know I've done well. If it moves down, I know that I'm doing poorly. And that's, that's where we can go back to. Yeah. Yeah. So I can, I can validate that almost 100% of the customers that we work with, uh, at Elevar either have a, they don't trust their data or B it's an incomplete data set. Uh, so definitely something that many, many, a challenge that many face, but I, I ultimately agree that sometimes having that hyper-focus on perfection and data can ultimately, you end up in that analysis paralysis where you you can just get stuck and be afraid to make any decision because, again, you're, so you're focused on perfection, which there's no, at this point in, in the world with tracking and ad blockers and consent and iOS and everything else that's going on, it's almost, it's nearly impossible to have perfect a perfect data set. So it sounds like what you're describing is don't strive for perfection per se, but just get a baseline, consistent uh, data collection, you know, whatever your baseline is or, or however you want to define it, which maybe you can touch on that, but establish your baseline and then just look and monitor if you are implementing changes is, are you going above or below that baseline? Is that? Yeah, you mentioned the word consistency and that's key here. Consistent data is so much more important than 100% accurate data. 
Now, I'm, I'm, by all means, I'm all for getting better data. And I think that's yeah. really important. And oftentimes, that is a next step where we'll go is how can we improve the data? And that's where Elevar comes in, um, other tools that help us improve that and improve attribution. It only gives us the, a better ability to take action. Uh, but ultimately, even those, to your point, they get us closer to accuracy, we'll never get to 100%. I yeah. think we're when we spend time in e-commerce, sometimes we'll, we'll even forget some of the data doesn't even exist because a lot of people are hearing about our brands through word of mouth. We'll never get that data. So, or at least it's difficult to. Um, we can talk about surveys and all that, but that's a, another yeah. topic. So one of the keys is thinking about if you have a way of measuring data that's consistent both over time and across the different ways that customers are finding you, then you can look at changes when you start segmenting that data in different uh, marketing channels, in different locations, um, in different customer demographics to be able to start to answer some of those really tough questions of, I'm putting a bunch of money for marketing here. Is it mm -hmm. actually is it actually doing something? And you can do that from day one when you take the approach of thinking about what's my goal, what's my data, what can I use to measure that? Yeah, okay. Just for everyone listening that maybe they don't go through this exercise. Can you, can you describe, you, you, you mentioned a couple high level goals in the beginning, like increased customer acquisition, et cetera, but maybe from some recent customers that you've worked with, can you just outline exactly what this process looks like? Like what were two to three goals that they had? How did you go through and implement a measurement strategy? What did you extract out from that? How did they apply that to their business, their marketing, et cetera? Absolutely. Uh, so one common example is looking to acquire new customers and looking mm -hmm. to get new business um, to you know just grow grow your general uh, pool of customers that you work with. A customer that I recently worked with deployed a two-pronged strategy for this. They were both looking to gain customers through Instagram and through TikTok. Uh, they had a, a basic um, GA setup. It was it was better data. They were working with Elevar, so it was it was better data for that reason. So that gave us a lot more flexibility. And they asked, and where they were starting was, I, I can't measure this data. I can't see everything coming through TikTok or Instagram, but I know that I must, they must be working because I'm getting new customers. How can I, how can I know this for sure? That's when we took that step back and I said, what's your goal here? They said, well, the goal is to get new customers. We put a number around that. They were trying to see a 20% lift. A 20% uh, lift in like a month and a month period, or what's the period? Uh, that was, yeah, that was for, it was for the year. Total, they okay. wanted to be 20% okay. over the previous year. So starting from that place, we said, what, what can we actually see to measure that? And the key metric there turned out to be new customer orders on Shopify. Um, there's a Shopify customer, yeah. easy to segment in Shopify between new and returning customers. Uh, we went back and we said, okay, that's the metric that we really care about. We want to see lift there. How will we measure if we're making progress on it? One, of course, is new customer orders. And the others are looking through Google Analytics. We're going to expect to see more people coming to the site. If more people are making purchases. We'll see a lift in, in visitors, um, particularly new visitors, but we'll, we'll look overall. From there, when we start to think about deploying capital to TikTok and Instagram, they started pumping the money in. The key metrics we tracked at this point weren't conversions on Instagram or TikTok, which can be partial. Um, it wasn't what was being shown on Google Analytics. Yeah. because we knew that wasn't complete. But we did watch when they put 20 grand into these two channels, what happened to the new customer number on Shopify? And yeah. we saw a lift. We saw a 10% lift in the first month. 
Now in Google Analytics, we saw a handful of visits from TikTok, <laughs> but no conversions. Yeah. I think that's very normal. A lot of a lot of folks see that and they're like, oh, TikTok's not working. And it was similar with with Instagram. It does a better job. Facebook said Instagram's doing awesome. Their you know Facebook ad manager says this is off the charts. Um, so we said, okay, does this mean that we put all of our money towards Instagram? When we took a step back and looked at it, we noticed that the people in Instagram was more retargeting. That was actually when we kind of dug into the data a bit. That was actually a lot of returning customers. That was yeah. that wasn't necessarily building our base. TikTok is where we actually saw we deploy capital there, and our new customer numbers go up. We couldn't connect it through the data. If we were looking for perfect data, I don't know a great solution right now that would have gotten us that perfect data. We might yeah. have gotten close, but we've been a pretty big process. We we were able to see by thinking about the goal first, new customers, the the way to measure that goal, new customers in Shopify to say. Yes, this is working. We put more money here. We see it grow in growth in new customers. Maybe it's through organic search, people coming direct to the website, but we can attribute that growth. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm, I'm going to play that back. The new customer metric in Shopify, were you looking at the per, like a percentage based or was it the raw value? The raw value. Oftentimes when we're thinking about goals, you want to think about the KPIs that measure success. Almost always, we're going to be looking at total values. The mm. the reason for that with percentages is uh, percentages can be misleading because there's often things that can move it in either direction, mm-hmm. and success can be in either direction. Um, a great example of that is you know retention rate. Our retention rate yeah. or our, our returning customer percent of returning customers went down. That seems bad. In reality, returning customer sales were staying level, and it was the new customer sales going up. So it drives down the percentage metric. When you look at the totals is where you see that you're you're coming ahead. Got it. Okay, so raw value of new customers, so net new customers in your customer file, essentially. And you essentially were testing two top of funnel platforms that everyone uses pretty much, TikTok and Instagram. And it, it sounds like were you running experiments? So basically, uh, maybe not literal, but... One week we're going to run, we're putting everything in Instagram and seeing how that drives that new customer number in Shopify. And then the next week we're going full on TikTok and seeing how that essentially affects that same number. Or were you doing those in parallel? We did, in this case, we did them sequentially. Um, okay. We did it month, one month, then the other month. Uh, doing it in parallel is, it is trickier because then yeah. you have two different factors. I think if we had done it in parallel, we would have known that both were working. We wouldn't have necessarily known. Um, the difference between them. It was because we were doing it in parallel is where with Instagram, we saw that attribution come in. There was a much smaller lift in actual change in sales. That's how we knew that most of that attribution must have been through returning customers and people who were being retargeted or people who were being targeted because they were likely to like the brand. They already do like the brand. It's an easy sell. Um, It was with the TikTok money is where we saw that real growth. Interesting. I wonder how many others are taking this approach just without getting, obviously without naming brands, but I know a customer of ours who they've been a long time customer and they've dabbled in different other uh, attribution tools and obviously other e-commerce analytics tools over the years as well. And they're, they're, they're always, and it's not unique to them, but everyone's doing this, always trying to answer that question of what channel is driving top of funnel. And they actually, so they took, it took an insight out from an, another tool that was basically stating, hey, 
Facebook's really not doing anything for you, even though potentially Facebook business manager was saying, yeah, you're, you're doing okay. But in this other analysis, they're, they're essentially seeing like Facebook's not driving anything and, you know, TikTok or these other channels are. So they actually just essentially cut that channel off. And a month later, saw like, holy shit, our business is down significantly. I don't know if it was a month, but it was a, a significant period of time where it was like, holy cow, that was not the right decision to make because maybe it's, it's a longer time cycle. It's not like a one to two day purchase uh, for in terms of uh, intent. It was more like seven, 14, 30 days. But I wonder if if that take that scenario, if ultimately trying to answer that same question of where are we finding our new customer base from? Is it from TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snap, et cetera? I wonder if just taking this this approach would have led them down a different path and maybe have uh, you know not dug a, a big hole. But I'm sure you, have you seen that as well, where it's you, again your it could be your, your own data platform, your own attribution model you create, or another third party, whatever it might be. But taking this approach, where you're just looking at that raw number inside of Shopify, which at the end of the day, that's what they're after. They just want to increase their net new customers. And uh, you know, was hoping for you know some automation to to tell them which platform. Right. Um. There's a few things to unpack there. I think the first is definitely kudos on them for experimenting. Brands that find out what works, find new ways to get ahead, are the ones that experiment. So even experiments don't always work. You'll need to yeah. try a lot of things before you find what what does work. So even just testing it out and trying something new, um, is almost always the good call. Yeah. I think where by not going with a goal-first approach, the pitfall we can run into is we let an experiment run for much too long before we shut it down. The way that just the numbers work out, most of the fall they would have seen from Facebook um, almost certainly happened pretty early on. You might not see it in the numbers completely you know, at first, but within even the first week, maybe two weeks, you can almost always see the impact of cutting off a source like Facebook. If you start from the place where you say, in the end of the day, we want to see our change in new customer sales, then instead of waiting to see you know, your overall final monthly numbers, instead of waiting to see what is attribution that we're seeing these other channels, hop in there a week later and think, about, okay, well, my goal is to increase new customers. Uh, is that what I'm seeing? And if you see that number fall, if it's been a week, usually I'll say, well, I'm pretty nervous right now. If we see it fall, I'm nervous. Maybe there's other factors going on. If it's been two weeks and you're still falling, that's when usually you'll kind of flip that switch real fast. And then it's another experiment. See if it goes back up. If it stays low, it kind of brings you down a path where you might be, you know, saying, well, what's really going on here? Um, But definitely by thinking about the goal, it shortens the time from the start of the experiment to when you can really know that you're seeing a business impact. Yeah. So just to wrap this, uh, bubble wrap this, which I don't know, I've been using that term for some reason in the last couple episodes, but instead of potentially taking the approach of, even if the conversation doesn't happen, but I want to prove, I want to see if TikTok is actually driving anything, or I want to see if Instagram is actually performing as a top of funnel, you know, casting that wide net is just potentially shift that of focusing on, Hey, I want to see this number of this percentage of raw new customers increase in this time period inside of Shopify. And that's what you're looking at versus potentially platform data or analytics data, et cetera. So I think that summarizes summarizes everything. Yeah. Go back. Remember, keep that top level goal in mind and start there. The data helps you understand if you're reaching that goal.
And that's where that's where data is the most powerful. Cool. I think that that's a good one. Many of that, I know many, that's a question they all are coming to us on of we're trying to see if TikTok works or Instagram works or Snap works, et cetera, and driving top of top of funnel and and uh ultimately filling filling the uh, the bucket. Since that was a good example, any others? Do you have a, another example that's a real real life use case that is potentially as interesting as the one we just talked through? Yeah. The other side of the funnel, I'd say the three spots that I spend the most time in is customer acquisition, um, website conversions, and also retention. Uh, I think retention is a critical one. Um, and understanding understanding the retention funnel can be mm-hmm. can be huge to really understanding how you're performing. Um, a big part of retention that we, when we think about the goals, will often go to thinking about LTV and retention rates and thinking about how do we increase these numbers. Um, one thing that I, I talk about with, with brands when they're thinking about what's my goal, the LTV becomes an area where we want to see brands reach a specific LTV or they want to grow their LTV or at least reach it. And sometimes we'll start thinking first about retention and AOV and they have all these metrics out there they want, want to see increase, but those all build up to that LTV number. And what we talk about is what are the pieces of LTV that you want to increase and what can we what can we track? But the ultimate goal is you want to increase the value of each individual customer. Yeah. So an example where we might use that is if a brand is looking for ways to increase LTV uh, and get more high value customers, if that's your goal, the next step is, well, the best way to do that might be to attract more high loyalty customers. The people who have the highest LTV, if you can increase that pool, you're going to increase the value of your of your brand overall with the customers you do have. Um, and then we can start to play it backwards to start to understand that specific segment of customers. And now to target that group of high LTV customers, bring more of them into, into your store at the beginning of the funnel, identify those sooner who might be primed to become high value customers, and really start to move the funnel. Where this comes into play and why this is so important is the goals first approach helps us take the thought of let's understand that customer, then think about the behaviors that can bring them back in. If we think about metrics first, we might focus on pieces that don't matter as much. How can we increase increase retention? A great way to increase retention, and you might be able to double your retention if you are an awesome offer an awesome discount after the first order. The problem is that's probably not going to actually increase LTV. That'll bring in more value seekers, not those high, not necessarily that that core group you want to. Uh, so by starting with the goal, you can have a better mindset and a better idea of who you actually want to attract and the best methods to do so. Can you unpack that a little bit more? So how would you actually take that and put that into what's what's the next step of, okay, well, I have this group of our high value customers are you starting to pull pull data points out from them? So what was their first product they purchased, potentially second? And what were some touch points or, or uh, data points that led them to ultimately reach that VIP status? Yep. One of the biggest ones is identifying them early and taking and doing things that can help in, improve their experience and give them a special a special notice early on. You can't do that. You can't give you know white glove service to every single customer. But if you can start to identify those potential high value customers, it's amazing what a little, a few extra touches can do to really turn them into who they can be. Um, across a lot of industries and across almost every brand, you'll find that people who come back very quickly for a second order are much more likely to be future loyal customers. 
So one thing that we've I've done with brands is we might set up a special email campaign for the people who make a second purchase within a certain time period that connects with them at a deeper level or more personal level than you would if you, you know, for their normal customer base. Um, brands that have been very successful go so far as to start to write personalized emails. Uh, I've even seen brands do phone calls and text messages to the cohorts of customers who look like their loyal customer. So even after one or two purchases, they say, this person has the behavior that my most loyal customers have. Let me give them that special attention. It might just be 100 customers a month, but over time, that does a huge amount to increase that goal of growing LTV uh, by the time that the customer gets to that point. I got a, my friend Ian, who is one of the co-founders of Laundry Sauce. I didn't even know they were doing this, but they they sent a you know, quote-unquote handwritten note after our first order, and they sell, it's like, what's the best way to describe it without uh, <laughs> him getting mad at me? And think about like the little dish detergent, the little uh, packages. Instead of having the big bucket of dish, dish detergent for a dishwasher, it's it's basically a little sack, like a little sack that you put in your laundry, your, uh, laundry washer. I do a lot of wash. I do a lot of laundry yeah, in this house. Anyways. Yeah. So you put it in there and it's it like really, uh, the fragrance on it is awesome. But anyways, yeah. it, but that was one thing that I know that they did, which I didn't know they were doing. It was really unique that, yeah, they sent a, again, it was a handwritten note and it was like, damn, that's, you, that's that connection. That's that personal connection. So if, I'm assuming that they're going down that same road of, okay, making a big splash with launch or post launch. And they want to try to hone in on, okay, who are, who are those VIPs going to be? And then, you know, turn them into that, these really high value uh, LTV type customers. Exactly. And things like that is what really sets brands apart and really gives them the edge. Um, it does a lot more than if we if we're too into the data, it might be, well, how can we optimize this email campaign? When you step back, you think about your goal, it, you can start easy. The first 10 people to reorder each month with the shortest reorder window, send them that personalized note. Chances are you'll see such success from that that you'll increase the time you you take to do that. Um, they might be at the point now, a brand might get to the point where they send it to everybody, but you can really start small, focus on a certain segment, see if it works. Um, and, and go from there. But that's an awesome example. Good stuff. What else? So just based on your, again, the just if I recap the beginning of, we have measurement and data collection and potentially data blending and attribution services and everything that goes on in that world. And then you have the other side. So it's like the Oreo cookies. So that's one side. And the other the other uh, Oreo is, okay, putting, uh, putting insights into action and that middle part that we're going through right now is, okay, how do we extract and make this process of insights, action, and implementation faster by you know the goal, starting with the goal first and a goal-oriented process. What are what else are we missing? What are there any other maybe challenges or issues that you've seen where if if brands don't take this approach of starting with an actual goal and number to go after? What uh yeah, what else? Yeah, I think one piece that we haven't touched on that's that usually comes up is where should this data be coming from? And at what point should you start investing more in tools to collect better data? Um, and is that something you should do? I think one piece that's really important to know about that is that always will improve your ability to have make faster decisions and make and make better decisions. Um, 
So one thing I wanted to mention was if you're thinking about where to start, that's where I always point towards Google Analytics. But there's definitely a huge opportunity then for a lot of the other great companies out there who are going to help you bring it to the next level to come in and play a major part in helping you collect more data, have more insights, um, see the data from different angles. And at that point, it's about committing. It's about using those tools you choose and looking through that lens at everything. Look through a single lens at all of your channels. It'll give you the consistency you need to measure channels against each other um, and also to understand changes over time. Yeah. And the, we were talking before we came on, but your $100 million plus brands, are. do you see different owners of whether it's the LTV metric or the new customer acquisition, but do you see the this type of process of starting with a goal in mind and potentially taking a unique approach of how you're going to pull data, how you're going to implement uh, different tactics? Do you see that owned by multiple people within an organization once they get to a certain scale? That's a great question. Um, so most of the brands that I work with will have a smaller back office team. They're usually the ones who are, you know, where everyone's wearing a few hats. Um, there is a spot where a lot of brands do get to the point uh, where they're bringing in people in-house who can start to work internally to really connect these pieces. And I think that's a really exciting piece of, the, of, of any brand's journey and somewhere I love to see uh, brands get to. Um, so the folks that I work with, whether they're at you know, 1 million or 100 million, their back office team is, is really in need of, of someone who, can, who they can ask those questions to and ask those questions about what, what does this data mean? What does this data tell us? And what data should I be looking at to understand what my business is doing? It sounds like if a company has the capacity, they could run, okay, we're going to go uh, focus on LTV and potentially do this you know, handwritten gift card or gift note, et cetera, to send out to try to increase that while also doing the Instagram versus TikTok type of testing that it's okay to do two of these things in parallel, two of these initiatives in parallel? Absolutely. I think part of thinking about the the goal first, it lets you think about if different goals have are going to be moving metrics in, in different ways. I think these two examples are great because as you can as you kind of imagine, you're looking at very different numbers for the two of them. In one case, you're looking at changes to new customers over time in that raw number. In the other case, you're really looking at how long customers are sticking around, how you're growing that very loyal base, you can absolutely see both of those grow. You can measure those two metrics and, and those two goals independently at the same time. Those might be owned by the same team. They might be owned by a different team. Really depends on the structure and how the company is put together. Yeah. In, in the best case, kind of a data-driven mentality that this all builds up to, being goals first in order to be more data-driven, it's always most successful when it runs through the whole whole company and it becomes over time part of the company's DNA, that's when companies start using their data in ways that can really push the business forward. We didn't we didn't talk about this before, but any are you familiar with OKRs, objectives and key results? Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. So is this a big part of that what you've described is uh it seems to be very similar to the like an OKR type of framework. Yeah. If you're familiar with OKRs then this approach should should be feel familiar. Um, it starts with what's that overall objective? What are the different different metrics that are coming up to it? Um, and that's a lot of times even what it can look like. Usually once once we get into it, 
I would recommend starting simple, look at one metric for your goal. But as you keep on going, you know, oftentimes with OKRs, you'll kind of have your top three goals and three metrics to measure each one, each of your key results. And that's what we we see a lot of times with this too. We'll get to a place where we have oftentimes three different objectives we're working towards. And three of those key metrics we look at and those metrics, again, part of it is, is it perfect numbers? No. Is it going to be 100% accurate? Absolutely not. But does a movement up, a movement up means one thing and movement down means another. And because we're consistently measuring it, we know that that if it's up, it's good. If it's down, it's bad or, or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Just if, for those that aren't familiar with OKRs, there's a great book called, uh, I think it's Measure What Matters. And yeah. It's a long book, but it really gives a a lot of examples fairly heavy on Google since I think Google really pioneered OKRs, but that that's a good book to reference if if you can read it or just Google. And there's a ton of ton of stuff out there in OKRs. But if we apply this back to the the first one of new customers, so objective. I and objectives are supposed to be hairy, audacious goals. They're supposed to be motivate and inspire the company, the team, et cetera. But I want to vastly increase the number of new, like net new customers to our customer file. That's an objective. And then the key result, so the KR part of the OKR is it needs to be measurable, time boxed, and you know, a few other char- characteristics. But essentially, the three the three ways to measure progress if we want to do this over a, a quarter, over a year, one KPI would be. Okay, twenty percent, uh, like net new customers to that number in Shopify. We're talking about key result number two could be we need to add you know X number of new subscribers to our email or SMS list, which is going to be somewhat of a leading indicator. Uh, key result number three might be maybe more GA focused of we need X percentage or X number of uh, net new people that are hitting our add to cart goal or initiate checkout goal or something, some sort of user user behavior on site. And if once you come to an agreement as a team or a company on that, you start measuring these on a, or yeah, well measuring, but reporting on a daily, weekly basis. So you know if you're you're not adding any new or enough new customers to your Clavio or or email SMS list that that the trickle down effect is you're not likely not going to hit that twenty percent. Does that sound right? You're you're shaking your head. At, okay, <laughs> I think that was a great explanation. Yeah, and um, OKRs. I think a, another piece to keep in mind is what's especially if you go into um, that book and you learn a lot about them. It's structured in a way that it brings both top down and bottom up. Uh, goal setting in your organization that lets you see how each individual department's goals lead to the overall organization. In this case, it goes back to what we said before about uh, becoming just an overall data-driven organization plays really well with OKRs and makes everyone in the company start thinking about how do how do the metrics play into the goals that both I'm trying to achieve and then also the company. Yeah, we have some, I, I, I'm sure we have more than I know of, but I know my good friends from Brevity, they they started implementing OKRs in their company last year, so it's it's I'm definitely seeing it, and I could just be naive more. Maybe been doing it for the last five or ten years, but it seems to be it's growing, growing in adoption in e-commerce brands as well as they're picking that up just to help give more autonomy and freedom to teams to help drive the ship or steer their steer their ship. Yeah, I think that's a great a great direction to see. And also, I mean, if you're thinking about taking on OKRs. It, you'll hear about how it's a process where you need to go through it a few times to really feel like you get your, your, those key results right. And in my experience, when in the past, when I've said OKRs to teams, 
part of that is starting to understand what key metrics, when they move in one direction, is does movement actually associate with something good? Um, examples from before, revenue growth is almost always good. However, retention rate, the percent of you know new customers versus repeat, it might be good or bad. If you really want to focus on new customer growth, the percent of return of returning versus new customers is going to go down, and that'll be okay. With an OKR, the way it's set up, it makes you think, okay, well, if that's not going to be a good indicator of success, what can I actually track where I want to go from point A to point B that will do a good job of that? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Dan, my goal in all these episodes is to hopefully give listeners one or two things that they can take away and inspire, implement, et cetera. Definitely uh, helped achieve that today. Thank you for coming on and sharing some of your wisdom. How can people get in touch with you? Thanks, Brad. Um, yeah, come visit us uh, at askdatasmith.com. Um, on there, you can you can learn more about what we do. And there's also a you can schedule time if you want to chat about about your own goal setting and the metrics you use, or feel free to email me, dan at askdatasmith.com. Cool. And I'll put links to in the show notes to Dan's site, the Measure What Matters uh, OKR book, and I'll try to find a couple other things that might might uh, be a little bit less daunting than uh, opening up that five-pound uh, Measure What Matters book. But anyways, I think that's it. That's a wrap. See you next time. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or a review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again.